Welcome back to the Matrix Minute, a podcast where we discuss the first film one minute at a time because we just love this movie. Welcome back. It's Wednesday. Courtney's back. Courtney's in the house. In the Matrix. In the Matrix. In the Matrix house. Welcome. Minute 112. 112, right? Yeah, we're on 112. 112. One past Neil. And uh, we can just... Let's do something because we all know Courtney since... uh, the last episode so yes. i mean if you need another introduction uh listen to the last episode yeah specialist costume yeah. designer uh podcaster and all around cool dude thank you and well, listen to the last episode there's a lot of good info there I right but I'm, like I'm you know listen more listen, than, listen, more than guys, usual phil is a good host i'm Let being a be good a host. host i you know how when films when you make a sequel there's some exceptions but usually you want to remind audiences yes what happened before because you know you know it's you're, gonna, job, you're asking audiences to you know good job, uh, do their homework which you know people are very uh reluctant to do so, so don't, don't so previously on the like matrix minutes previously on the matrix minute so if okay, you're so, a host and a guest at your own show does that make you a ghost yes that's a good uh-huh. one uh-huh. Uh-huh. tim aha uh-huh. okay uh-huh. let's just get right into it let's get into yes, it let's do and it. i'm going to tell you what happens in minute 120 what happens in this minute philip tank gives morpheus and the other two directions for an exit the, a- the agents catch up to their previous location. Smith, more frustrated than the other two when he finds the helicopter cable. Jones and Brown order a strike with the Sentinels standing by. They also tell each other that the trace was completed and their location was discovered. That is the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's location. Smith says, they're not out yet. Morpheus is led out of the Matrix via payphone as a hobo watches in amazement. I thought you were going to say Agent Smith orders a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Artichokes are my favorite. Okay, so I'm sorry, but me and Tim are going to have to watch. Pepperoni. Oh, pepperoni as Agent Smith. That's fun. Yeah, Pepperoni. Pepperoni. (laughs) Half cheese, half anchovy. Oh, I have have a pepperoni story, but. Okay, cool, Tim. So uh, Morpheus says, uh, Tank, we need an exit. And he's like, all right, got one ready for you. As he types away. Hacky, hacky, hacky. Yeah. And then we get into a unique scene um, where uh, the agents come in from this. Uh, come out, um, Philip. Come oh, out. come out. Sorry. I'm, I was in, I was thinking in terms of movies, like he's, they're coming into the scene. Uh, <clears throat> they're entering, you know, like when you're doing the exit above their head, would know, still. You know. Yes. <laughs> exit. <laughs> stage left, even. <laughs> exit. Um, and we know we're not in the States uh, because uh, the sign. At the door says authorized with an S. Yes. My Google Chrome was set to American English for a little while there and I couldn't figure out how to change it. And every time I spelled anything, it's like, do you mean with a Z? It's like, no, Zs are too extreme for the British. Okay, turn it down. (laughs) We need a respectable S. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting because we also noticed um, in a couple episodes back uh, the button at the elevator, as we say in America, but Obviously, it's lift in Australia. Yes, and it said lift on it. Yeah, you know, we say elevator here too. I think lift is British, <gasps> so that's oh, interesting. Weird. I didn't know this. Yeah, okay. yeah you, you're our first Australian guest, so yep. um, yes, probably yeah. our last. But uh, <laughs> well, the thing so, is, so sometimes with then? east 
Yeah, sort of interchangeably. Um, like East Coast, West Coast, sometimes we do have different terms for things. So uh, oh. swimwear. Um, in Perth, we'll say that you're, That's where you're your from, bathers. Right? Yes. My hometown. Um, yeah, so we say bathers. And nice. on the East Coast, they'll say you're, uh, you're cozy. Or, what? Um, <laughs> or skivvy? Skivvy <laughs> means swimwear. Yeah, skivvy? So, like, I don't even know what that means. Now that they're sounds... just making up words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think bathers make sense. You are sort of bathing in water while yeah. wearing them. Yes. Um, but obviously having to make costumes for the international uh, audience. Yeah, I just say swimwear. That sounds that sounds good, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah just just, just skivvy, skivvy, man. Are there any other cool <laughs> words you can share that might be different from, like, specific to, you know, either Perth or Australia? Uh, oh, man, not off the top. You should have asked me in advance. Um, there oh, are some sorry. specific words that we have that... Well, I notice Americans tend to be brand-specific where we don't... We tend to call things by what they are. Other than right, maybe, so, like, instead of, know, like, band-aid. Kleenex, you'd be, like, tissue yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, tissue, yeah. Um... Oh yeah, and then yeah, we we say uni for university instead of college. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's a British that's, that's, thing. That's I think, a I think college thing is too, a yeah. very American thing because university is mm. universal. And and and, universal. and you have to elongate your O's. College. <laughs> college. 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 Yeah, every single time I have to say college. That if I'm reviewing an American thing, I'll be like, and then he went to college. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because yeah. college in England, at least, is uh, like high school. Is high school. Yeah, uh, it's true. high school, and it's also um, the sort of like well, the houses yeah. within a yes. uh, university. So, like, there's the that's Cambridge the thing, like, in colleges. America, like, I don't know why it's yeah, yeah. used college because university is the correct term. If you go to university, a university is a collection of colleges. Mm. So, so weird. weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but speaking so of American authorized. accents, yeah. I think Agent Smith. Yeah, I'm Hugo Weaving's performance. I have so much more appreciation for it now than ever before. Because, oh, you know, I just yes. understand more about acting. I just think, oh, this guy is rocking it. He's so, he's just having so much fun with the cadence and delivery of his voice. Oh, yes. it's so much fun. <laughs> with the delivery of his voice. And, yeah, it's... Um, it's a it's a real very memorable. I think this is one of the top things you would mem- remember with the Matrix. You you everybody can do the you know like the Agent Smith uh, 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 impression. Well, they think mm. they do, but not a lot of people can actually do it. They start and then they're like, "Well, actually, it's well, in my I know, head." But it I mean, makes I, plays, I, I, <laughs> I don't mean like effectively. I just mean, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I just mean that it's recognizable. Everybody knows what you're talking. It's really about. hard. It, it's the Darth Vader of this story. Hey, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> Um. Oh God, so anyway, so Agent just, Smith. Yeah. Anyway, authorized Smith, personnel only. He picks up these yeah. uh these leftover holsters, bondage that Neo is just equipment. the bondage gear. He's <laughs> the just bondage gear shedding <laughs> from the so magical time between movie. between oh, yeah. Morpheus, subtle, Neo, and Trinity. Subtle Damn it! Messages. They didn't invite me. <laughs> I wanted to. Yeah, Tim, you were mentioning earlier, right? That Agent Smith is like he says, "Damn it!" Here, yeah, he's damn his, it. His sort of human, not human, yes. but his non-conformist. Yeah, his non-conformist yeah. Uh, machine brain is loving uh, the interjections. Is, is is changing because this is? Mm. Uh, I believe. I serious. I want to believe at least. You know, Neo. I believe that um, uh, the Wachowskis put this uh, 
moment in there to show that Smith is different from the other agents and he's more independently thinking and he's getting emotions and he's been affected. Like he said, I've been saturated by it, uh, by yeah. the, mm. you know, by, by living with these humans. And so this is like just a natural, as natural as you can get with a machine, uh, development of the, of the complexity of a, of an artificial reality or uh, artificial intelligence here i notice i spent a lot i'm noticing a lot more uh about sound editing these days obviously editing two podcasts and mm. i noticed that smith's breathing is actually more present on a track than you would traditionally do like a nose whistling here's a lot of uh yeah that nasal <laughs> whistling through the whole really? movie yeah and i'm wondering if that was uh, perhaps deliberate because he is talking about, oh, the smell, it's, you know, it's, it's infecting me. And so maybe, especially wow. in that scene, they were playing up his nasal whistle just to make, yeah, make you focus on that. That's interesting. You heard it here first, nasal that. whistle. So is that like, yes. a, like a high-pitched sort of um, tone yeah. or something? Or no, what? yeah. You, I mean, it's just you can hear it. It's more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell mm-hmm. you, you know, doing sounds myself, you know, occasionally, um, you have a lot of control when it comes to what you can hear and what you can't. And so I'm sure that mm. uh, Dan Davis and associates who've been doing the sound design for this uh, definitely put that into account because when you're doing a final mix and stuff, you can definitely catch every every little nuance. So, so what are the I didn't ages? realize until yeah, recently that, yeah, when you make a movie, pretty much none of the audio that comes from set is actually used. Like it's generally yeah, it's there's more a like a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, when I was younger, when I was about 15, 14, uh, I didn't get that. I didn't understand what that meant because uh, most of me and my friends who've been making movies, uh, we all kind of thought, oh, wait, so what's the point of recording with such a good microphone on the day, you know, with a, like a, a, a boom mic, if you're not going to keep it like that? And um, so we talked to, so I, I asked uh, one of the producers of X-Men when I was I was I got to visit the set of X Men Three long ago nice. in two thousand five. Yeah, <laughs> Bobby in Phil. Vancouver. Yeah, and uh, I asked this, this question, and one of the producers, yeah, said like, uh, "Well, no, you want to capture as good as you can on the set the dialogue, right?" Um, and uh, ADR is used. That's automated dialogue. <laughs> automated dialogue replacement later on um, if there's something that isn't quite working very well or if the quality is off or the performance isn't quite there and you can actually enhance it. Um, yeah. So but there's a lot that is uh, additionally recorded. True. I want to say for that, various uh, reasons. you know, it depends on what kind of movie you're making because uh, I was watching last night, uh, Call Me By Your Name. And um, what I need what to watch struck, that. It's, 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 I, I actually, actually enjoyed either. it quite a lot. And what hit me <laughs> the most was the sound design and the look i mean it was shot like on a like a like a film a very and it and it was deliberately the sound was deliberately very bad it sounded just like it was one boom mic and everything all the echoes were there the distortion of of, on, of like how people talk and everything but it gave it such a feel of realism that was too strong like it hit me like i remember it like all the summers when i was a kid you know just like just like like you could hear the background just like unaltered of like surrounding you yeah. it was pretty surreal so 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 you know depends what kind of movie you're making what you want to accent like here that would make a lot of sense you know you got to hear the music and you got to hear the you know the talking right. but other times you, you you just want to be submerged into this un, un, into you know, the unperfected room. yeah 
that Don't rawness, know. yeah. I think genre films generally want have that very artificial quality, and as well, yeah, on Prometheus and Alien Covenant. I noticed now, yeah, mo- most actors, the dialogue, they, um, you know, between the dialogue, you got the breaths and breathing and sort of it's pushed down in the track, but it's not dis- they don't disappear entirely because that would be unnatural. But although they do that in anime all the time, just as a side note, <laughs> but I'm noticing in Prometheus, David never breathes. All the other characters, they keep the breaths in. David never breathes. That's awesome. Oh, that's nice, subtle. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Give him a little robot feel. I just I want to but say, in our say case, uh, Agent Smith, who's also oh. uh, a, a robot in a sense, he, he's breathing all the time it's the opposite. and swearing and yeah. breathing and sweating <laughs> and swearing like a sailor, <laughs> yeah, with his damn it, he's such bad yeah, words, I, I potty mouth, it, just like oof. Captain they America really are trying to. He never stops. His poo poo mouth. Yeah, they're trying to convey that he's infected by humanity. I really now yeah. you mentioned it. I really do think that's what they were going for. Sorry, everybody so was sorry. talking at the same time. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Everyone talk now. <laughs> <laughs> Go, you, Courtney, you I was going to say that the costumes... Uh, ev- so I'm looking at this scene and it's particularly green because there's the exit sign and everything there. And uh, So they used a green filter over the film. Mm. And Something so I I work in theater mostly so I don't have to worry about this but it was covered <laughs> a little bit that we just had to, to keep in mind that I mean every department on film especially needs to really talk to each other especially the cinematographers and how it's going to be lit so they yeah you were using a green filter so all the costumes had to be made to work like through a green filter so everything is actually dyed with green even the black costumes are actually a slight green that's what i wanted to ask you so it is true then their costumes are slightly even if it's white there's a little bit of a green dye in oh, it. oh really even in the white shirts for instance or no i'm wondering about switch's costume because that's white pvc you can't add color to it oh hmm. unless they colored the back part because the back part of pvc is just just cloth and uh yeah you could paint that <laughs> and then the color might bleed through on the outside that's the only way i think it could be done because i feel like I, i'm not sure but i feel like you know looking at these shots of the agents coming out of the building you know obviously the whole picture is sort of green tinted which is the matrix mm. look but um yeah but i mean i guess the suits are but we can all agree that the suits for the agents are green they're yeah. totally green yeah. Yeah. yeah yes thank you because there's brown, people who are like gray. They're yeah, green. yeah, it's green. Tim. They did not have those on display at Warner Brothers Movie World, sadly. Uh, we would have uh, known. Then I could have said 100%. But um, I had a similar debate about... Uh, color on film is an ongoing thing. Like, the Prometheus armor, it looks all black. And the film is... is, is I mean, when they're in the caves, it's so dark, you can't tell. But, no, it's actually torp, all the sort of armored bits mm-hmm. on the blue spacesuit. Oh, the blue spacesuit, Doct- okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to those yellow ones they don't actually use. They're in the background. What? That's. I would love to be on a movie where the budget is so high that you can actually have costumes that are not worn by anyone. They're just in the background. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Um, Very excessive. Yeah. 
Also in uh, Doctor Who, the eighth Doctor wears a, a green velvet coat, and for like 15 years, people were swearing so, you know, just it, s- swore on their mother's life. No, it's actually black. No, it's brown. But uh, yeah. Wait, no, stop. You actually- I mean, the eighth, the eighth Doctor is, um, is a, uh, uh, what's his name? Paul McGann. Oh, Paul McGann. Okay, okay. That's the yes. eighth. Oh. My favorite and most obscure doctor. Um, and yeah, I did that costume once and yeah, oh, nice. it was just never ending. But um, <laughs> yeah, the it's just velvet. That's just how velvet reacts on screen. I'd never use it on film. It'll be a nightmare. Yeah, it sounds because like you said, it just soaks up. That's an right, interesting the... thing that you mentioned because, okay, maybe not velvet, but there are certain uh, like... Uh, He's wearing uh, velvet materials pants. that that you know that you think are black, but then when uh, when a camera kind of picks it up, it, it you can it looks like brown. Especially if you use like classical mm. lighting techniques, like not everything might right. work. You know, yeah. like you won't get that yeah. sort of same look. But I have to say, the gray, uh, the as you call them, green suits, you got to give it to people. Phil, like come on, it, it, everything is tinted green. Gray is a color that looks whatever color you put next to it, it'll look like it. You take gray and you put red yeah, next to it, you think it's brown. You put imagine. It's a, yeah. that's just the nature uh, of I gray, wear gray which... a lot. Gr- gray is my color. And so many times people go on, is that a green shirt you're wearing? No, it's clearly <laughs> yes, not. And then I've you go outside. Too, yeah. It's blue. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a tricky it's, one. It's, it's a chameleon of colors. Yeah. It's a trickster. So Agent Jones over here, he's going to, he, he said something like, uh, you know, they they traced, uh, the trace was complete. That's what it is. Remember they said, begin a trace. Tracing? I don't know. They were just mentioning how to begin a trace, and I think one of the agents used... back home tracing some lines on a picture. Okay. <laughs> they were using picture. Morpheus's. I think when Taiga. they caught Morpheus, they were like, "Begin a trace." Remember? Yeah, they're, they're tracing the signal that they're captured. Connected. I don't think they can connect for yeah. a long time. You know, to uh, the... maybe they're tracing the nib. Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah. They said uh, complete, they and they said deploy it. Well, the sentinels are right, standing right, right, by. Right. Sorry, sorry. Because they have to connect through an actual like connection. You, they can't just broadcast a signal as they call it wirelessly. They have to broadcast a signal through an actual plug. Or do they yeah, do it wirelessly? I don't know, Philip. No, I think um, it's all cable. Maybe they have to be close enough for Bluetooth to kick in. Yes. Well, they, they got, got enough information out of Morpheus. Hmm. I'm not sure. So, they never, I mean, they, they have futuristic technology. Yeah. Yeah, in the matrix futuristic well, technology yeah. in the in the rule, but in the matrix, yeah, do they? I mean, they're using yeah phone lines and stuff to get out. So I guess they don't have Wi-Fi or anything. No, but I kind of like the old timey feel of that. And I wanted to mention really quick, since we're on the topic, after that we cut to the crew going down the steps in, in the subway. Right, mm. they're going looking. They're going to the payphone. And I always like this in the matrix how they kind of devise this idea that you have to get to the nearest exit which is capable of getting them out of the Yeah, matrix. it's not like any payphone. It, yeah, it's not like any payphone. Like Tank has to go and do a search and sort of like, you know, see which are capable and which ones. And the cool thing is I think that, you know, sometimes the the nearest phone could be like, you know, 10 minutes away or one minute away, you know, and that sort of creates a bit mm-hmm. of tension in the yeah, matrix. Yeah, that, that's Because this is about. why like, you know, mm. our, our heroes are, you know, traversing the lands of Sydney to look for, <laughs> for <of> Sydney <laughs> to look for the right payphone. But that, that's what makes it interesting. Otherwise yeah. it'd be super boring. Like imagine if they had cell phones, you'd be like, oh let's just call. I think what what, yeah, what, what so the Matrix fun. should have done was just like fast forward eighteen years where there's no payphones and it would be screwed. I'm just like, oh no, oh, how do my we get goodness. out? How do we get out? No. <laughs> <laughs> there's one no, payphone in Sydney. Minutes. 
There was one. <laughs> There's still no, no, no. They every every home has homes. yeah. They yeah. have modems, and we can just get through that somehow. No, they have to break into grandmothers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> grandmothers are still old, old payphones. That oh, I can't wait for the Matrix reboot set in oh, uh, 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this scene, especially, it has that really grungy old world look, and it's great. I think. It actually makes it seem more timeless. It it's not dated. I think, that, as I said in the previous episode, that when I was watching it in my mid-teens, it was in that awkward middle period of history where it's not a new movie, but it's not an old movie. It's sort of in this weird nebulous zone. Uh, and then, yeah, watching it now, there is a bit of a nostalgia. There is a bit of distance, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, like what I said earlier in the podcast, not these episodes, but but in general, is that I think the reason why they maybe even went for some of the, you know, 1950s vibes when it comes to like the repair shops and, you know, uh, things like that, using payphones, um, mm. that just adds to what you're saying, the timelessness. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's more, it makes it more um, uh, universal in a sense that you're not really pinpointing it to a specific period. You're just like, oh yeah, like everyone knows like, you know, a fifties look and stuff like that. So gives it a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's the same thing with um, Blade Runner. That's part of the appeal of that movie is that it's this weird combination of 1920s architecture and then this future Neo Tokyo sort of thing. Yeah. And you you don't, you don't question and go like, Oh, that's from this. You're just like, Oh, it's an interesting world. And that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, oh, going uh, back to uh, the agents and uh, yes. again, understated costumes that work really well is the cut of their suits is so stock standard. Like it is the most standard suit you could possibly imagine. Really? Really? Because, see, it, the, the cut of a man's suit goes back and forth over the over the decades fairly right. consistently. The 2000s so, were so bad. They were so big. Oh all my. the suits were humongous. Oh. Look at the NBA mm-hmm. roster in like year 2003 and lo- look at those okay. suits. You will die <laughs> laughing because you forgot. How, <laughs> how, those things look like tanks on them. I'll, I'll send you a link. Just, you keep talking. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking I'd, at I'd it. I'd love to. <laughs> um, yeah. In the, what I love about suits is that the evolution is fairly consistent over time. Women's fashions is all over the place, but with right. men, you, know, you can, you can start from about the 1700s to today. And a lot of the features on a jacket came from their, their ancestors. It's almost an evolution. Like, um, you probably wonder there's a little buttonhole on a lapel. Most jackets will have, um, a button. Uh, buttonhole there which seems vestigial and what that used to be is yeah a jacket used to button all the way up but you Mm -hmm. don't do that anymore um although there was some designer back in the 60s or 80s he always got his tailors to actually put a button on the other side so he could button off his suit jacket um so 1920s very skinny suits uh and then around uh World War Two. It's a very hyper masculine. So you go from 1920s a little bit androgynous, then this very hyper masculine silhouette, which okay. continues right up until the end of the 50s. You know that sort of yeah, very big shoulders, looser cut. It's all about make, emphasizing the the male silhouette. Mm-hmm. 60s comes along and suddenly you've got these mods and hippies you've got the very again kind of like the 1920 suits very skinny so well, it, it seems 60s to be a skinny tie time 
Yeah, so it seems that whenever culture or Western culture is in a time of affluence and recreation and fun, you tend to have the the skinnier, trendier suits. However, the 1980s is the opposite, where it is a a fun time of excess, but massive suits for some reason. (laughs) Shoulder pads. Oh, I reviewed uh, Rain Man on the first episode of Saint Elsewhere, and there's a scene where they have a makeover, and they're coming down the escalator, and they're in their tailored suits, but it's just like, my god, they're so big! (laughs) You can fit two legs in one of those trouser legs. (laughs) Um, Nice. And then, yeah, the 90s sort of had a bit of that 80s hangover. Narrower cut, but still, oh my god, I watched X-Files recently. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Everyone's wearing gigantic trench coats. Like, uh, like they're just, the sleeves are so big. Why? (laughs) So, The Matrix actually plays it fairly safe. Between the 80s and the early 2000s, it was all very loose, uh, horrible suits. But here... Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. stock standard, not too. It's, it's a Goldilocks zone. It's very yeah. nice. You notice that, ah. like you, the the suit did not age at all. It's just it is just a suit, and that, and that was that was suit, clever yeah. thinking of on their part not to over you know stylize the. I mean, just <laughs> if it was in the seventies. Imagine it's just like bell bottom suits. Oh my god! Agent Sideburns, Smith in the seventies. <laughs> oh, no, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't want it. the images in my head. No, the agents in the sixties so, were good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the the thing is with uh, costume design, we're always taught if you're making a contemporary film, you don't want to go with the latest trends, unless that's sort of the point of that particular character, or whatever. Mm-hmm. If most of the time you want to have fairly timeless outfits, um, that especially, I love the costume in Alien for that exact reason. Like everyone on the Nostromo, you could put that in a modern movie. That oh, looks yeah. fine. They just base that on uh, the British ambulance driver uniforms. So yeah, functional, simple. That's, cr- that's uh, sweet. They're wearing yeah, they like Converse they went with shoes. something, and it and it works. Yeah, Converse shoes mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also a very shoes. not practical when you're dealing with xenomorphs. But oh well, no, no. <laughs> they weren't expecting to. So yes. Yeah. It's also interesting when you're doing a big movie that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes the thing is that, you know, the production takes a year or something like that. So some things might change. So Mm. good rule of thumb, don't, you know, to be contemporary and don't use uh, two contemporary memes or something like that from the internet. Because by the time your movie comes out, that might be considered to be like, Like in Black Panther where uh, a character says, what are those? Yeah, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, watch out for those. Wow, blast from the past. Yeah. 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 Means. yeah, I think it's always wise to just stick to things that are conventional, mm-hmm. unless you. But when to, you're yeah. making a period film, that's when you're told to really amp it up. The weird thing is, though, in X Men First Class, it's not really. It's very underplayed. You forget it's set in the '60s. I don't know what they were thinking with that. I guess maybe I don't know. What do you think about that? Because yeah. I feel like if you're setting a movie in a certain time period and the time period isn't necessarily important to the story, uh, mm. I feel like it's great that you don't feel like you're in the 60s or wherever the, the time's taken place. That's my opinion. Yeah, I still don't know how I feel because I've seen that movie many times. I love it. Um, but yeah, I go... I don't know. It's somewhere in the middle. They're not playing it up, but it's. I mean, it's definitely a '60s aesthetic. So I don't. Yeah, okay, it works. I like it. Um, yeah, I just maybe it's just me wanting as much '60s as possible. It's one of my favorite eras. That's probably true. You know, that <laughs> um, might be a reason. <laughs> yeah. 
But the fetish gear and stuff that's in the Matrix, you know, <laughs> I remember um yeah so in my teens you know i had a lot of goth friends and we would hang out at all those sort of alternative stores and stuff and just going yeah this subculture doesn't really change that much so that would have been well, around i don't know like i, I wanted to ask you a question 10? thank you so much for reminding me um did you did you want to continue or are you done with that thought? i was just saying that it's interesting that subcultures don't tend to evolve with the times it's just this is right. cyberpunk this is always cyberpunk well, here's what I was wondering. With The Matrix, uh, I was always curious as to the question of, you know, where did this idea come from to have the main characters wear mostly black? Is that something that's um, specific to the time period, or is that subculture specific, or is that just an idea from the filmmakers? Or what, what's your take on that? Sort of like black I and, really, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I really wanted to find an answer, you know, if there was a specific reason why everything had to be black and why the sunglasses, but no, not really. It was just the Wachowskis had this vision in mind. And my theory is that because they did all those comic book style storyboards all in black and white, and it is this sort of superhero style thing, I think maybe they just sort of stuck with black. Just kind of rubbed off on them. Yeah. Hmm. That makes sense. So just an aesthetic, sort of like that's sort of what they feel. Yeah, would be good yeah. for them. And it, they have very much superhero costumes. Once everyone starts adorning those, yeah, the the PVC and, and all of that, you you go, yeah, this is the this is a superhero moment because mm-hmm. you've yeah most of the time when you're costuming, it has to be telling a story in a practical term. Like, oh, this character is probably not that fast with their appearance, so they're just wearing, you know, like a, yeah, a jumper yeah. and track pants or whatever. But then Trinity shows up, and you're like, what practical purpose <laughs> could any of the? You're wearing sunglasses yeah. at night. You've got the PVC. The only thing is, maybe, and I'm, I'm glad they actually didn't try and be literal and try and justify it. But like, maybe if they put in like a motorcycle outfit, you go, oh, well, she's yeah, that she's like her the motorcycle cyclist character. So she wears all the motorcycle gear. No, no, it's just shiny. Yeah, it's cool. I like that. Mm. They're cool. I think like, yeah, in the the sort of around 1995, 96, when most of this was written and and sort of designed, I think, you know, the Wachowskis were very, uh, you know, kind of, they did dug like subculture and like all these scenes and everything. And, And, you know, like right now, like if someone was making, they would be maybe interested in whatever, you know, normcore scene or whatever is happening in the underground that's kind of hidden up. Ugh, I think that's sort cool. of, I think like. I'm uh, lost. I have no me idea. Me too. I don't know either. Uh, I, look, I have someone to talk to. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's <laughs> this <laughs> weird subculture where you dress as generically as possible for some reason well i think the, the idea is it's a it's an anti-fashion what it was at the beginning was yeah. an anti-fashion because at, at like around 2009 2010 very colorful very like everything's vintage everything's super detailed everything's crazy like that hipster sort of scene was breaking mm. out a lot of people who grew up in that were kind of sick of it so they wanted to something opposite and they kind of looked for inspiration people like steve jobs were like it's very utilitarian like oh, you buy yeah. your gap jeans you buy like like that's when uh, you know um, what what are they called those uh, the shoes the uh, New Crocs. Balance became popular again because because no Crocs are even normal <laughs> yeah oh so, my so, god and then just like a t shirt and it was just like an anti fashion but a lot of fashion bloggers picked it up because it looked cool and then became actually actually ironic it became a fashion you know it became it became something it kind like kind of dress yeah it's kind of like dressing like 
your mum when she's on, on vacation in, in the foreign country. Yeah. It's like, like mom jeans, <laughs> yes. and then you have like simple sweatshirt, and then you have like the simplest shoes. Like it, it was like a statement, but it t- oh, bum bag. Fashion. That's an Australian term that what? we don't have. Bum bag, which is, is a, a fanny pack. Oh, oh. <laughs> bum bag. F- fanny. Fanny means your vag. So yeah, yeah. I don't know where that came from. The the American term. It's, it's yeah, called like yeah. A waste pack or something. I don't. Yeah, know. yeah. I mean, literally Lance here, uh, it, it's called like a. No, I just want to say in Serbia, it's called just a gay purse. <laughs> For some reason, they just really? call it that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they tend to wear them. So the normcore kids will wear them around the waist, but the street kids will wear them slung over their shoulder. Ah, oh, street kids are so uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my brother is a street kid, all, all into that, like, what's that label, Supreme? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, some yeah. photos like of Normcore, right? yeah. and I don't know, like, I can't really tell. What? Well, it's like great. Said... Normcore, you just ask Normcore people to be extras in your film, and it'll be the most generic set of uh, bystanders you can get, Yeah, right? because but some of this Normcore looks actually quite fashionable. I don't, I don't really... Well, it, 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 it's, it's They're a process, posers, you know? that's why. Okay. <laughs> No, I mean it's, it's all like, been appropriated. Evolved, you know, it, mm-hmm. it came, it came oh, from yeah. a statement, became fashion, and now it's just right. part of normal fashion. Everyone, you can go to Zara and get normal normal clothes. You know, it doesn't matter. I now see, it's, I see. Now so it's, it's part, part of, of the system, system. Part, part of the back. matrix. Yeah. It's you can, you can you can just dress any way you want. I I have to say that I like contemporary fashion. What I like right now is that mm. there's no style of pants that you have to wear. Like it, especially for ladies, like my wife. She can go to a store right now and she can get like mom jeans, boyfriend jeans, tight jeans, skinny jeans, high-waisted jeans, bell-bottom. It doesn't matter. There's there's no there's no specific cut that's popular right now. You can just get any sort of pants you want and it doesn't matter. It's like, eh, whichever what is fine. age we live in. Yes. Right? Yeah, I, uh, I love the uh, drop, co- drop crotch joggers, sort of cargo pants. Just that's, that's my ideal thing. It's comfortable. Got pockets. I don't have to yeah. take up the, the hem because it's elasticated. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You've got to have your pockets. Yeah. Um, you know? Where were we? We well, were, we were, okay. Uh, okay. This is a fashion podcast now. <laughs> well, well, of course it is because we got you on. <laughs> yeah, uh, clearly. Yeah. Um, I so, talk about fashion so much in Prometheus by minute. It's not relevant to anything, but <laughs> it's good. It gives it. Well, it look, gives it's, it's quite relevant here, so we're very happy to exactly. have you. Exactly. Well, yeah, Jake was asking why are they dressed like that, and and, and I was saying yes. that um that was yes. it was fashion like you had like sort of like the raver scene, and it was very sort of futuristic look that everything was very mm. shiny, everything was. You know, you got like very PVC kind of that kind of look was was hip. So by the time the movie was released, I don't think it was that popular. Everything started to become more grayish and more like toned down, that kind of like baggy clothes and that kind of fashion. But I think it was kind of like the last remnants of that sort of whatever that ravers, yeah, what hackers, other... that kind of thing, you know, going on. Yeah, what other sci-fi movies came out? Oh, that's uh, like Minority Report, I guess. Um... Dark City. That, oh, yeah. oh my god, Dark City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hackers. <laughs> yes, hackers. Wowie, that did not age well. It's almost Matrix-like no. in its aesthetic, but not. It just it missed the mark so oh, hard. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We Looking watched at, it. Looking uh, at Trinity's 
uh, Trinity's tank top here. I love that cut because I think it's, yes, it's me quite too. a masculine silhouette. Like it makes her true, shoulders true. broader. And I like that because she also wears this spaghetti strap one, which always takes me back to the 90s. Um, what? Not a fan. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's uh, the spaghetti strap while. one, I think, is oh, yeah. uh, earlier. I think it's in the sequences uh, during when they're in the walls and stuff. Isn't that right? When they're in the walls and then when uh, Cypher is killing everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. She's on the phone with him. But that's yeah. interesting you mentioned um, the... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's spaghetti straps, I think. For me, that was really dated. And yet this particular tank top, like that is just... Mm-hmm. It makes sense of the character and it also just feels timeless. Totally. She's totally got agree. gloves too. It's awesome. Oh, that's right. I she love the gloves. gloves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so cool. She's she's the coolest. She's awesome. She's probably one of the first female characters I've really noticed because before that, you know, you're growing up watching Disney movies like, yeah, yeah, princesses, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's great. I think I think we we talked about this actually on the podcast before, and we noticed the Trinity actually had a little bit more uh I mean, obviously she has a she has an important role, of course, in the film, but we noticed that they actually wrote her in even more in the earlier in the earlier drafts, draft of the script, which oh, was interesting. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. She I'm actually had more. That. Like she actually, some, she actually led. She some actually, of the, no, yeah. This whole thing, rescuing Morpheus, was her idea in the old script. Yeah. So, so it was actually her saying, like, "We're gonna do this," and yeah. Neo was the one who's like, "Uh, okay." And then Neo was like, "I'm gonna help you." Sorry, yeah, that's right. And in the final movie, it's Neo saying, I got to go. And then Trinity So we, we felt oh. like that was interesting how, you know, that could have yeah. worked well. Um, I think, I think they well, missed I've, out. Yeah. I, watching it again, I'm like, ah, oh, I, you know, she is such a hard ass character. And like, honestly, if I met Carrie Ann Moss, she might be a really lovely person, but she's just so intimidating as Trinity right? that I'd be a bit scared. It doesn't um, help that and he, everything she's been so far afterwards she's just an evil woman that's what she is like every every yes. movie really? that i watch after she's jessica just jones like, yeah yes she's really? so evil and so like but commanding why, and just like she, i don't know like, but it if fits you watch interviews well. with her she's like a very lovely person yeah mm-hmm. but it just fits so life. like anything she's been she's like oh scary woman i think the same thing with someone like vincent d'onofrio like they're always these really intense characters so meeting them in person like oh don't kill me please <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um where was i going with that? oh yeah that I, I was Mas. yeah go ahead yeah yeah watching it now and and definitely being more sensitive to representation of minorities and just going wow for a female character she She's got a really great attitude and stuff, but in terms of her actual role in the plot, I feel like she's she she's just there to be the love interest, which is a bit disappointing. Um, whereas someone like Princess Leia, you think she's the damsel in distress. She's a mouthy bitch, and I love her for it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's Luke's sister, so she can't even possibly be the love interest. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas it's her, yeah. It's, it's Trinity's destiny to be the love interest. And I'm just like, for yeah. real? Come on. Yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of her only sort, not only, but sort of her main, I guess, you know, arc or whatever is like that. Yeah. Like if you had to list all the characters as their primary roles, like Morpheus, the mentor, Obi-Wan yeah. type to Neo, Trinity, love interest to Neo, that's it. I mean, that's right. the entire prophecy she gets to do, Carl. Imagine that. You're like, yeah. you're going to yeah. find that's out the, your future. And oh it's like, God. you'll be, it's in you'll the third, fall in love third with minute. The, you'll fall in love with the one. It's like, that's it. It's not even about me. It's about the one. Tell me, tell me yeah. about yeah. my and my future. <laughs> I don't care about the one. It doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> that's, that's true. 
Okay, so so now let's talk about this this effect. <laughs> no, we're going down the subway. Oh, we're, we're in the we're subway. There. That subway is a nice subway, and it's a, it's a set. They built this. Just wanted to give you some trivia. And yeah, um, I was going to say I don't think this is a real train station in Sydney because no, they don't no. look like that at all. This is like yeah. very New York. No, yeah, it's called uh, it's it's on Balboa Street. I think that's the sign, not Balboa, just Balboa. That's another Chicago thing. Um, and Balboa Baggins. <laughs> and um it was uh so this was built in a disused uh, wheat storage facility or wow. different facilities and and it was used as wheat storage in the 1920s and and the rail track was already there so in the interior had a rail track seriously yep like that those train tracks <laughs> there and uh they filmed it in white bay in uh, new south wales huh there you That's go. cool. I don't know why, but mentioning every time someone mentions wheat, the first thing I think of is there was a story a few years ago where this kid drowned in a wheat silo. So fucked up. Oh, it's bad. Oof. Oof. Wouldn't want to be. Yeah, because it's like sinking. Um, what do you call like yeah. a Quick quicksand? Sand. Yeah. So oh, no. y- it creates a suction effect. So the grains sort of pile in on top of you, and terrifying. you can't pull someone out. Yeah, because you are That's so scary. wedged in there. That is horrible. Yeah. Anyway, kids um, get away from wheelbarrows. Moving moving on. (laughs) Stay away from those at all. Yeah, because they're they're making. You see, this is a wheat. uh, This used to be a wheat facility where they made tasty wheat, very tasty. Mm. Ah, you see what I did? What tasty wheat tastes like? Yeah. Let's get. Can we talk about the effects? Yes. Okay. Go. Come on. Effects. Yes. Yes. So this is the first time we get to see. Yes. How people leave the matrix because it was always cutaways before. Always yeah. the classic. What you cut, guys wanted but not more this time. You wanted the cutaways for the for the Agent Smiths, and we got the cutaways for this. So, stuff, what do you guys think repeat. about the effect? It's a good effect, better than the Agent ones. That's what I say. Yes. Yeah. It, what do you it, think? Especially with the technology of the time and yeah, like we were talking about Blade 2's effects and when that came mm. afterwards, you know, this plays it safe. It's a fairly simple transitional effect. Uh, I like the kind of veinature going on. Yeah. I don't know what that's supposed to symbolize. I, but I actually I like. love more than the veinature. I like the sort of um, bubbling effect where it sort of like expands and sort of retracts. I feel almost like the entire effect could have been even subtle, more subtle like that, you know, with less of the flashy white stuff. It could have been more like a transparent mm-hmm. predator kind of look, like yeah. just like, whoa, whoa. Right, right. right. Bit, but, you know, it's, it's still... It's well, still Matrix reboot, Matrix reboot. That's you. right, yeah. But that's the <laughs> no, important part, fixing the transitions. Yes. But, it, it look, you know, at first glance, it looks very simple. But when you, when you think about it, there's all, you know, they could have gone just one effect, but there's, you know, at least four of them. You know, there's the vein thing, then there's like the disappearance, and there's like the, the fade. Oh, yeah. The fade, no, and then there's like the yeah. shock wave. So, so it's interesting that I think they made it more li- realistic. Like, yeah, notice how the look. light is actually affecting in the phone booth. I'm very happy about that. They actually they should have just went. Yeah, trying to see if that happened or not. It's hard for me to see going frame. I need a gif of this. That's no, no, no yeah, for. yeah. Um, but it is true that there is a little bit of lighting uh, refractions and reflections uh, in the phone booth, at least. Oh, guys. I love how this film is mostly filmed in wide shots. You know, as a costume person, it's so frustrating when, you know, you put all this effort into something and then it only gets filmed from the waist up, if that. And if, as a cosplayer, you know, someone goes, oh, I want you to make this costume for me. It's like, cool, no problem. I'll watch the movie and go, 
You only <laughs> see the bottom half of this costume for one scene, yeah, and it's from yeah. a mile away. <laughs> Whereas the yeah. Matrix, like it really, and I'm wondering if that actually had an effect on the cultural impact of the costumes. Not only hey, were they yeah. very unusual, but people got a real good shot of it. Sort of like mm-hmm. Darth Vader's costume when he first walks onto the ship. Background's all white. You get a full body shot of him for a good few seconds. Yeah. It sticks in people's minds because they get a good head to toe look. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I can agree with you there because uh, people who know me when I talk about shots is that I love the wide shots and I like seeing uh, wider angles and you know like just because you get a better view of everything and the screen is huge. And um, mm. What you said here is uh, very valid because uh, I know there's a bunch of movies that are great and they're shot very poorly and I have no idea how the costumes even look like. And <laughs> and so, yeah, seeing things is, is, a, is a valuable thing. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry, I'll just, I'll just be off now. Well, that we shouldn't, f- I mean, unless that's a deliberate uh, choice by the director, but you know, we want to feel immersed in this world. And the way you do that is allowing us to actually see what the hell is going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're doing like a shaky cam sort of, there's a word for that a shaky cam effect. Um, yeah. Well, I call it the shaky cam. Pro- there's a proper name, but yeah, the, the shaky cam films that were popular actually around this time um, where you don't really get a good shot of things, but they tend to be set in the real world. So it's not as important, but genre movies, you really do want to play, play up. The role of the costumes because mm-hmm. that's how the audience knows about this world you know we all wear mm-hmm. clothes and so seeing how these alien characters or space-faring humans dress really helps to inform the story oh and that tan- tangents nicely into or transitions nicely into uh, a little bit of trivia that kim barrett was actually the costume designer for titan ae which is an what? animated film Really? Yeah, Didn't that's true. Know, yeah. Apparently, I know, I remember ages ago watching the special features for Shrek that they had makeup artists doing, you know, actually designing the makeup for the characters. Mm. So, yeah, apparently every once in a while animated films get actual costume and, and makeup artists to come in and redesign it, I guess. Yeah, wow. Cool. That's very interesting. That would be fun. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I would agree with that. You don't have to deal with fittings or sourcing fabric. You just go, here's this crazy elaborate costume. Go ahead, draw it, have fun. (laughs) Right. Yeah, right. So look at this. Uh, Morpheus is gone. Thankfully, he is uh, he's safely uh, taken out of the Matrix. That's a good thing. Uh, We got that effect. I remember many people when I was watching it with them back in the early 2000s, they're like, wow, that's so cool. Look at that. You can see the transition going on. And even the hobo here uh, feels the same way. He's, he feels as a good effect. Every time the phone drops, though, I kind of flinch. Like, oh, it's going to get smashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of phone, It's like when actually, characters leave the fridge open in a, in a movie, and then if they don't go back to the house, like they run, the fridge is open, they run out of the house. For the rest of the movie, I guarantee I'm like, they left that fridge open. That fridge <laughs> is fucking open. Oh my God, those, the, 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 the milk is going to go off. <laughs> for, for me, the, the phone hanging is sort of like a, um, you know, Roadrunner effect, you know? Uh, yeah. It's like in the, yeah. Off the edge of the cliff. By the way, I noticed something Maybe. about the phone. Which is that uh, I never noticed before. I'll never unsee. It's an it old ass phone. I've never seen one of those before in my life. <laughs> really? Really? No way. Uh, 
other than those hipster, uh, like the the uh, right, accessories, like you could have a phone accessory, which are like an old handheld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've never seen like a payphone like this? No, I've never really been up close to one. That's really interesting. I had my Uh, first mobile phone when I was 11. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to play Snake on it. Oh yeah, Snake was the best. I liked Snake. (laughs) Snake 1, I think Snake 1 was good. Snake 2 was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Where, you know, you can go through the walls. Anyway, um, what I wanted to say really quick is that the phone, when Morpheus, when, when the transition finishes, you can clearly see it's a different shot of the phone. Wait, what? Yep, watch. See, look at the phone. He's holding it. And now watch this. Uh, New phone. Oh, Jacob, thanks. I thanks for ruining now. this for me. So if you go frame by frame, you can see the angle completely changes of the phone because oh, they're fading right. into a different shot. Yeah. I, I wondered how they filmed this. I yeah. did not notice that at all. Yeah, the, the phone It's really... They did it perfectly. It's so it. subtle. Like, you don't even... You don't even know. Not it's subtle anymore. It's such a beautiful... But now you know. Now yeah, everyone knows. Ruining. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a recent minute of Prometheus by Minute, I noticed a similar thing where the editors are trying to sort of cut around something and it doesn't... Well, I mean, if you're watching it like a normal person and not maniacs like us, um, it's yeah. it's fine. But, like, uh, there's a character, Milburn, who is... He's standing at this sort of uh, sort of the, the, the breakfast bar thing. He's He's waiting in line to get food for himself. And then it cuts back to him, and he's still in the same spot, but two other characters have pushed in front of him. But I don't think that... Well, it, it looks like they've pushed in front of him, but I don't think that's supposed to be the case. They just edited no. two moments so together. So Milburn's <laughs> just standing there waiting for his food. It'll never come. Very oh, sad. poor Milburn. Yeah. And on that... He'll be dead show, soon. It's fine. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And with that, I think uh, we have concluded our uh, uh, observations on minute 112. That is correct. Yeah. That is the one thing... Correct. The one thing I will say, though, is uh, so the homeless character, you know, I'm always fascinated by characters who or actors who play a significant role, but it's a really tiny moment. So they get, you know, a full uh, close up or they get a bit of dialogue, but that's it. And I always go, mm. I wonder what that was like getting cast for that or what the, I know, that experience right? was like. Minimal effort. You're just there for like a day or two. And then you get to see your wonderful clo- close up uh, in the end. And it's like it's immortalized and it's everywhere. Yeah. It's all the homeless fault. If he wasn't there, they could have gone away. I know someone knows the spoon kid, but I couldn't for the life of me track them down. So Oh, that'd be fun. I know. (laughs) We could find him. Yeah, I think um what's his name? Just look up Spoon Kid on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, his name is Rowan Witt, and um I think he has an Instagram at least, I know that. And (laughs) uh he was one of the I think he's doing Just um, of Bent Spoons. Mm, yeah no actually he's uh he's doing the australian version of um uh, book of mormon he's one of the principals really? there that's yeah. interesting oh yeah i really want to see that yeah there you go and you can there, meet Rowan you can yeah. be like there is no spoon yeah 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 <laughs> throw a spoon okay um so let's just do this since we're you know since the whole week courtney if you could just repeat some of the places online oh yes uh, you can find me on TraviandDesigns.com, T-R-A-V-I-A-N, or Prometheus by Minute on Facebook. Beautiful. Beautifully I can't done. Professional. Well. Yeah, Phil, after uh, 112 episodes, still can't even say We're almost done. The week's almost Twitter. over. Uh, you know, Thursday's Yeah, Travian was... Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. It's boring. Uh, I, uh, My thing's boring. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I was just going to say Travian. Well, I, yeah, especially have to spell because it it's a made-up word. It's, uh, it's a character of mine. I've got two novels going on right now, and in the first one I was writing, it's a sort of Victorian gothic horror, and the main character is Dr. Cordelia Travian. So, ah. yeah. Ah. You almost done? In Yeah. Oh, good. No, no, I meant, I meant like with the novels. <laughs> oh, with the... It's like, I, yeah, I like, can, can, we, can we wrap up? Okay. Done, no. Shut the fuck up, Courtney. Jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get out. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, fine. Gee. Um, so that one, I think the first draft is pretty much done. I've got the skeleton. I've got all the characters. The, well, the skeleton of the story. There are skeletons in the story. Um, and yeah, it's basically like just... Skeletons. Yes, um, spoopy skeletons. <laughs> so, yeah, my particular method is I'll write, I'll yeah, sort of do these little samples of scenes, or, you know, sort of a, a texture sample of, of what I want. And then I'll do this skeleton of, okay, this is how the plot should be structured. And then I go in and do my second draft. So I'm almost All up right. to that. Awesome. That awesome, is- dude. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>